Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it bring it to the Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. I'm Dave Hendrick from All In Sports Talk. You can find us on Twitter at All In Sports Talk. Check out the website, allinsportstalk.com. I'm also on the Anfield Index, and I host the Happy Hour there. That's anfieldindex.com and at anfieldindex on Twitter. I'm Gitto Sewellen. You can uh, follow me on Twitter on at Gitto Sewellen, or you can follow uh, the Jackass, which is the Swansea City podcast, uh, by following at Jackass. Uh, and uh, our newest podcast has just gone up yesterday. So that one's a good one to follow. Hi, I'm Dan from the Twitter account Baggies Facts, um, formerly of the website Baggies Facts. I also write um, for the Eagles Beak, a weekly feature looking at, uh, looking at the Premier League and some things surrounding that, like the usual uh, hot topic or hot story from the week. Um, this week I wrote about how crap Joe Hart was, if you want to chat one out. <laughs> he did not have a great weekend. Um, uh, yeah, so thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, we of course have Making the Rounds, where we're each going to have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our club this week. We'll start off with you, Dave. Obviously, the Klopp revolution finally getting its feet under it. Another win today. How have you been feeling about Liverpool lately? It's um, it's nice. It's different. Um, he's you know he's been in charge now six games. We're you know unbeaten. Um, three draws, three wins, and we've had a difficult run in the Premier League. Obviously away to Spurs, and you guys were coming off having battered City at home to Southampton. They're a very good team, and away to Chelsea. And while Chelsea are a bit of a mess at the moment, hi Rasmus. Um, it's uh, it's it's still our first time beating them in in you know f- four years, so it's a, it was a huge win and we've beaten Ruben away tonight in the Europa League. So you can see some noticeable differences, especially on the defensive side of things. Um, the team actually look like they they know what they're doing at the moment. Uh, he he needs to get some players in though, like Rogers left him with a decent squad, but it's lacking players in what will be key areas under Klopp wide attacker obviously the storage injury doesn't help but we need someone up front um we need a, a holding proper holding midfield player and we need someone to play ne- next to Sacco at the back so there's a lot of work to do um we went through it on the happier podcast recently and we came to the conclusion liverpool needs seven players for the that's for the squad probably five starters but it's doable over the next two windows um, I think with Klopp coming in, we'll see more of a focus on buying from the Bundesliga, which is always advisable because it's where you find really good players at really good prices. Spurs obviously got Son there in the summer, and he's a he's a class act. But to be fair, also Holtby. <laughs> well, yeah, but Lewis Holtby was never as highly rated 
in Germany as he was in England. True. English people had this weird fascination with him. His dad was like a huge Everton fan in England. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. And same with Aaron Hunt. Like he, he became some sort of folk hero in England, but he was never anything more than an average player in the Bundesliga. Um, and, and to be fair to Holtby, he's a decent player. He's like the German James Milner. Not great at anything, but <laughs> yeah. decent, and, and he'll put in a shift. Like, sure. but um, yeah, no, it, it's it's really nice. And like three wins in the bounce, you you can't you can't be upset with three wins in the bounce. First time in a long time that we won three in a row. All right, we talked a little bit uh, right before the show about Roberto Firmino. How confident are you in him kind of reaching his potential under Klopp? Hugely, hugely. I think Klopp is the perfect fit for him, and I think he's the f- perfect fit for Klopp. If you look at Klopp's Dortmund teams, he had the likes of Kagawa, Gotze, and Mkhitaryan, and they all flourished under him. Um, and I think Firmino will as well. Klopp wanted him at Dortmund, so it, it does show that he you know, he knows the player well, and he is a fan. And he'll use him properly. Rodgers was sticking him out in the wing, and then obviously he, he broke a bone on his back, and that sort of you know didn't help at all. The fact that he came back late in the summer as well after being away on Brazil duty, that, that didn't help. So he's had a, a slow start. Um, none of it his fault, in fairness. Uh, he was really good against Chelsea. He was good again tonight. I think people are starting to see what, what he can do. He'd one beautiful little moment tonight where he nutmegged a player and then played a lovely little pass to Milner, um, who should have scored from about six yards out. But there's more and more of this coming. We'll see more and more of the link-up play with Coutinho. But I think when Sturridge comes back is when we'll really see him click into top gear because Sturridge's style will suit him a lot better than what Benteke does. Benteke is just quite a bad fit in our team, the way we play, the way Klopp wants to play. So it's going to be dependent on Sturridge to, you know, how quickly Firmino really starts to hit form because he needs that kind of striker in front of him. All right, thanks, Dave. Now, Gitto, Swansea, obviously, with some mixed bag kind of results lately. Uh, what's been your take from Swansea? Uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a very strange couple of weeks um, since I was last on this um, show. It, it, we, um, of course, lost to Stoke on the Monday night after the international break, which was um, a, a, one of our worst home performances probably since we've been promoted to the Premier League and that really did cause a few jitters among um, uh, some of our fans and um, it, it got the uh, national media a bit excited they started spreading rumours that Monk may have been in trouble which was just the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard of um, it, it was such a strange week after that result because everybody seemed to be overreacting both you know fans and the media and it, it was then a relief that we had Aston Villa the next Saturday. Um, and um, despite playing really poorly, um, still one of the worst performances of the season, uh, we managed to come from behind and beat Villa. Um, we were just very, very lucky that we were playing against Aston Villa that Saturday and not a decent team. Um, but that kind of chilled everybody out. That calmed the nerves a little bit. Um, I think it was our first win uh, since August. So uh, anybody who was getting a bit needlessly jittery was um, brought back down to earth. Uh, And then after that, we played against Arsenal um, last week, where in actual fact, we were quite unlucky at times. Well, maybe not unlucky is the wrong word. We we missed chances. Buffer Timmy Gomez with the most glaring one where he was one-on-one with... Oh, it was awful. One of my friends said he needed to to reconnect his controller. It was, it was unreal. It, it just didn't make a decision at all. And the, it got to a certain point looking at it from the stands where I just said, OK, he's waited too long. He's not going to score. And that is exactly what happened. 
Um, so we wasted chances when we were by far the better team in the first half. Um, we really were much, much better than us in the first half. But then straight away, as we after we came out for the second half, um, Giroud had a free header, which he scored from a corner. Fabianski had a bit of a nightmare where he tried to catch a ball. He really should have punched and Koscielny had the easiest goal that he'll ever score. Uh, and then Joel Campbell finished it off. So 3-0 flat at Arsenal. It was a bit harsh on us. I thought we played very well for um, long periods that game. Um, and now we go ahead to Norwich, um, which has been a bit of a bogey side for us, uh, if I'm honest. But came up with you as well, right? It, they did come up with us um, a, a couple of years back. We've stayed up in the Premier League. They've obviously gone down and come back up. But um, yeah, they, we, we did go through a period where Norwich just somehow always beat us. Um, they always seem to be really on red hot form whenever they played us. Um, but uh, looking forward to this weekend, it's going to be an interesting contest. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are looking at Swansea in 13th and maybe wondering what happened. Obviously, Darlings early on in the season. Last eight matches, Arsenal, the Villa won you won. Stoke, Tottenham, Southampton, Everton, Watford, and United. So no easy matches really in there. Obviously, Watford being surprisingly good defensively this season as well. So uh, I, I have seen people both in the fantasy and regular football communities like, oh man, I thought Swansea were good. And there has been a tough run. Uh, one of the uh, questions I have heard from a lot of people though is what's going on with Gilfie Sigurdsson? I know we talked about the pace last time. Maybe you're playing without him being as crucial in the midfield. What do you think could be done to get him back on form? Um, we He actually had his best game of the season against Aston Villa, where he scored that stunning free kick, and he yeah. was by far our best player. Um, he looked, it, it was great to see, actually, because the rest of the team were playing poorly, and it was as if he said, well, if you're not going to take responsibility for this, I am. And he put his foot on the ball and started dictating things again and really took responsibility for the play, and he was a big reason why we why we ended up winning that match. And we thought, okay, this is great, this is Gilfie maybe finding his way back to form. And then against Arsenal, he was really a bit absent from the match. He tried very hard, had one good effort, but generally speaking, he, he didn't really... Um, put his stamp on the game, and it is it is a tricky one. We because uh, there have been calls for Gilfie Sayerson to be uh, given a break, and then for John Joe Shelby to be moved a bit further forward, um, maybe use his strike a bit better and use his um, passing ability a bit better in the final third. Um, it, it is a bit of a mystery because he's been playing brilliantly for Iceland as well, and nothing's changed dramatically in our system compared to when he was brilliant. Uh, last season so um it is a it is a bit tricky i don't know if it's just that there's not as much understanding between seosan and and gomez as there was between uh, seosan and boney where there was a brilliant partnership that i think that's contributed partly to it but beyond that it is a bit of a mystery why he can't quite get you know click for swansea he's working hard enough it's just not the passes aren't finding their way to the key men the way they were before my guess is the haircut. It's not nearly as good as it used to be. Uh, really? I had noticed. <laughs> <laughs> That's my guess. All right. Uh, and Dan, uh, it's been a minute since we've... That's not true at all. You were on like last week. I don't know what I'm talking about. But regardless, uh, we've seen uh, Solomon Rondon start scoring after last time you were on. We complained that he wasn't doing that. Got to be more encouraged uh, of late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's um, he's now on free for the season, and in a team that's only scored ten goals, <laughs> what you know, <laughs> what, what what are we wanting from the bloke? 
he brings others into play. He's been doing that quite well, and he's also got himself um, he's got himself one or two assists. Um, so you know, it's 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 all positive, and along with Berahino as well, who's always going to pop up with a goal when you need one. Um, we've we've got the ability, I think, to to make a good crack of this season. Um, although the last game against Leicester City was a oh, it was a bit disappointing. Um, we knew that Leicester City were going to go gunko once they went a goal down, and they just they did, and they, and they managed to get three brilliant goals. Um, you have to say that their their forward play at times is really is really smart. Mares is a mm. cracking player. Vardy's going to score goals all day long. We've options like Dyer as well, who's absolutely lightning fast. You know, I can see Leicester being in the top top half of the table pretty much the whole season. Um, obviously, we're not going to finish in the top four or, or the roundabout places they're at right now. But you know, they're, they're going to be a, a threat throughout. Um, so it's it's not it's not the end of the world that we've lost the game. Um, a bit disappointing that we lost it having been ahead um, after taking the early lead from a cracking crossing and goal. Um, Stefan Sessegnon's been a difference for us in the last three games. Um, after he hasn't played, he didn't play before um, three weeks ago for some strange reason, some pudist strange reason. You know, maybe um, people questioning his ability to track back and defend, but he's been doing that just fine since he's been in the squad. Um, and I do like Sessegnon on the wing because he's got a tricks to beat a man, and, and he's certainly got a decent delivery on his day. Um, so, so you know, there are positives, and we have got players that are do, doing well. I think Leicester, to be honest, they're on it. They're in a they're in a great bit of form, um, and it was it was going to be a tough ask to beat them, whether it be away at Leicester or or at the Hawthorns. I think even being away from home for Leicester might even give them a bit of an advantage because there's absolutely no pressure on them at all. Um, just free flowing, decent football, and you know, can't can't. It actually reminds me of. Um, of Swansea, rather when mm. when they were under, I'm not sure whether it was when they first went up under under Rogers, or again the following season under Lodge, or probably both seasons where the, their their link up play and their their passing ability, it's almost like a mini Arsenal sort of thing. I'm not comparing to Arsenal, but Leicester have certainly got players that that can you know beat a man, good passing ability in the midfield. So you know it's it's not the end of the world that we've lost that game. Um, we look forward to Manchester United away on Saturday, which is going to be a tough ask. But we've we've won our last two away games at Old Trafford, so there's no reason why we can't make it a third. We, you know, you never know. United aren't the most uh, free flowing scoring team at the moment, and nor are we. So my bets on that one would be a low scoring draw. Yeah, and obviously uh, you have a very tough run coming up. Are you, are you expecting to be able to kind of keep that defensive rigidity or, or are you going to try to come at teams more? Yeah, the, the real answer is that I don't know because the, the problem is with Pulis, um, we will always set up. Well, of course, when we play maybe the lesser side, we will, we will try and hit teams a bit more, but... I think when we're playing the, the likes of the top sides, um, it, it's going to be tough because you're going to expect you've 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 back four and your two defensive midfields and even your wingers have all got to be superb and make sure that they shut out the, the opposing team. Um, and if you can do that, there's always a chance. We've played eleven games so far and we've got six clean sheets. Now, if we can get a couple of clean sheets in in the games against the big boys, 
and maybe snatch a goal, then you don't, then you never know. The, the the risk is that we concede early, and then the options from that point are going to be tough because you're already having to think about making changes depending on the starting lineup. Um, so you know, we'll we'll see. It's it's going to be it's, it's going to be tough, but throughout the whole of a Premier League season, you have 38 games. You play all of the teams. It doesn't really it doesn't matter when when you play them. You've got to play them all anyway. And, Hopefully, I think for the course of the season, we can I can see us getting enough points to comfortably stay in the Premier League. Um, you know, the the big debate, although you haven't really asked anything about it, the big debate is is a purist debate. You know, it, it's it's do people want a more attacking minded manager or are people happy to be nicking games and hitting people on the counter attack? Um, the fans certainly are swaying towards not wanting Pulis as our manager long term but then the benefits of keeping Pulis this season are certainly that we'll be in the uh, in the Premier League hopefully next season for the for the big money when that arrives so you know it, it's a big discussion going on on all the message boards and stuff at the minute regarding um, the, the manager and what we're going to be doing going forward um, I think he will end up leaving at some point but I don't think it's going to be any time soon so the ideal. Saying, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, Kev. Sorry, I meant to message you there. Just going to say to Dan, like the ideal would probably be to have somebody who's in the middle between what Pulis does and that attacking coach. Someone, if you could find like a, a Did, like a, I, I, a young was, version of Klopp. Well, I was saying this that EVB. Well, the best manager that <laughs> I you, you're going to completely disagree with this, Dave, because you don't like the man. But Roy Hodgson had that. He had that ability to shore up the defense and. We, we was hardly like the most attracting passing side going, but we would play decent football in the final third and we would punish teams that were slacking at the back. You know, we would get our fair share of decent wins and we weren't just winning games by the odd goal. We was managing to beat teams properly, but of course, but you know. So, is, there so the, is, there a, is there a long-term thing, though, with Roy? Because Roy's whole career is... is but the, the question now, you have the question you have to ask first is: Is there a long term thought process with Pulis? And you, you oh, definitely well, not. No, you could well say yeah if you're happy, which the Albion fans won't be in a year's time. They're putting up with it just about at the minute, but in a year's time, it's going to be we cannot watch this anymore unless Pulis. Because my hoping was, and I said this on the podcast last season, my hoping was we were going to be able to exploit the wings a bit more and play more attacking players on the wings and, and just give people that bit of uh, what freedom to, to do their own thing. But even with the attacking flair players that we've got on our field occasionally, when he does decide to play Sessegnon or McManaman or to a degree McLean, the, the problem is that Pulis is still sticking with that defensive, rigid shape constantly. And, you know, we've been to, like, Watford away this season and there's been various games where you thought, this game's here for the taking and we're still setting up as if we're facing, you know, Real Madrid away with with a, a solid back four and, and two defensive players that don't want to cross the halfway line. So, you know, I don't think that is the answer for any club going over a long period of time. But for, next, for keeping us in the Premier League for what will be a massive year next year, it, I think it, it, you know there's no point in us changing things now sort of thing. Um, it will be, I think, possibly Pulis and our chairman might well fall out at some point 
but he's got previous for it. Our chairman's got previous for it. You and don't that say. Like, mate, he, he seems like such a stable yeah. guy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that may well be the way the relationship ends, and then the appointment is, you know, is absolutely key as to what kind of appointment you're making. Because we have got players that can beat a man. We have got players that can pass a ball. You know, so our squad isn't completely limited, although sometimes they do look limited, unfortunately. Yeah, um, on to Tottenham, everybody's favourite part of the show. That's probably not true. <laughs> um, uh, starting off with a whole bunch of Eric Dyer news. We all know Dave's favourite player. Uh, he's named into his first senior England squad alongside uh, other Tottenham players, Harry Kane, Kyle Walker, and Della Ali. Uh, fun fact here. 10 of the last 17 England call-ups have been Pochettino products, which is leading me to a very concerning thought of what would happen if England came calling for Poch, since they already know how to play a system. Uh, so hopefully we won't get red-napped in that kind of scenario and our club form would struggle. Uh, but yeah, Dyer got called up. He spoke in an interview this week saying that he and Della Ali uh, perfectly uh, meshed together in that midfield with Ali's strength being his mobility and Dyer's strength, you know, besides from his actual strength, uh, being his positioning and that they really pair well. Uh, and they say that they're, they're very good friends off the pitch and don't require a whole lot of communication on it uh, from a verbal sense. So um, it is very interesting that they're forming such a good duo, although uh, if we're going to launch ourselves into that top four discussion that everybody wants to have right now, just because Chelsea are struggling, um, I still think that those two are probably the two that we need to be playing in Europe, not our best two that we play in the Premier League week in, week out. I still think we need an excellent deep-lying passer of the ball, which we continue to not have. Uh, Della Ali, while excellent with both movement and uh, vision, the passing sometimes isn't there. Dyer can cross a ball like no one's business. Uh, but you don't do that nearly as much from that holding midfield position than right back where he appeared sometimes last season. So, huge fan of both of them. I think Ali is going to be an excellent player. Uh, I'm just not sure that that duo should be our best duo. But obviously both very young, both have a lot of room to grow. And again, Ali looks like he will be a star in the making. Andros when is Bentaleb back? <laughs> right? Uh, he is back in training, not match fit. We're thinking he'll return after the international break. Another player, obviously very highly touted, he has to fit in. Ryan Mason seemed to finally be finding form before he got injured uh, after winning... Oh, who did we beat? Was that Sunderland, maybe? That he he uh, scored the winner against and then got hurt in. Uh, so yeah, we have a lot of players in there. We have Tommy Carroll back on loan. Uh, well, back from loan at Swansea. Also in that mix, Josh Onoma pushing for a first-team spot. Been uh, excellent with the younger teams. Made his uh, Premier League debut, albeit in a substitution appearance against Aston Villa, which is an excellent segue to me talking about Andros Townsend, who got into a shoving match with fitness coach Nathan Gardner, uh, which was allegedly fueled by Pochettino bringing on Onoma instead of Townsend. Uh, he is suspended and has apologized, according to Pochettino, but... Uh, he was already a bit on the outs with the club just because of his, uh, hmm, I don't really know how to say this politely. Not, not being very good? <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I was going to go more <laughs> of a personal attack, though, which is, if you look at what Pochettino's done for all of these young players, including the ones in that statistic that were mostly at Southampton with the 10 of the 17, everyone has improved. Kyle Walker has improved, and he is not the brightest bulb in the box. 
and so the fact that Andros Townsend has been under AVB, who's known for working individually with players to step their game up, see Bale, comma, Gareth. Uh, you have Tim Sherwood, who is all about playing young players, see Bentaleb, comma, Nabil. And then Pochettino, who all he does is develop youth players. And at no point under any of those managers has he showed any sign of progression. Of his probably five best matches in his career, three of them have been in an England shirt, and one of them was in a QPR shirt. And he just isn't necessary at Tottenham anymore. I know that his family are all Tottenham fans, and he's a youth product, and that's awesome. And it probably would mean a lot more to fans if we didn't have that Harry Kane guy with a very similar story actually doing the business. But Andros Townsend now getting into fights with the backroom staff, probably not what he needed at a time when many were already questioning why he was still with the squad. Um, lastly, people freaking out about the strength of today's lineup. Today's we're recording, not today's you're listening. Actually, the match is on right now. Kane just scored a really good goal against Anderlecht. Uh, but people freaked out that we put in such a strong lineup when we have the North London Derby on Sunday. But a lot of people glossing over the fact that Poch did not have many other options. Eriksen and Lamela have to start on the wings because Chadley and G and Pritchard are all out injured. Son is on the bench because he's fighting back from injury. Uh, Kane had to start up front because our only two other striker options are actually midfield options, who I just mentioned, <laughs> G and Son. Tom Carroll is the only fit central midfielder other than Moussa Dembele, who we are resting, which is what all these people are arguing they wanted in the first place, as is Danny Rose, who's coming back from a knock that he suffered against Aston Villa. So the only choices Poch had to make this week were center back, right back, and goalkeeper. He did play Toby and Jan. Over Fazio ugh, and Vimmer, uh, Trippier over Kyle Walker and Larissa over Vorm. But other than that, everybody freaking out about how strong the side is. We didn't have other options. So that's a different issue. Look at Levy for that. But don't blame Potch for selecting such a strong side when he basically picked 11 of the 16 fit players we have at the club. Uh, obviously not super ideal. And I would expect to see... Walker, Rose, Dembele, and Son, uh, none of whom who are starting today at the weekend against Arsenal. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, uh, Dave, we talked a little bit before the show. What are, your, what are your thoughts on Eric Dyer? You said you think it's too soon for him to be in the England side? Oh, absolutely too soon. But, I mean, being an England international doesn't mean anything anymore. <laughs> to be fair, last time we thought Ali got called up to seal his uh, nationality. 
But mm. then he got called up again, which I think a lot of Tottenham fans were surprised by as well. Well, it goes back to the Carl Jenkinson situation when he was called up to seal his nationality over the Finnish national team. And then someone had to point out to Hodgson afterwards <clears throat> that, in fact, playing them in a friendly Roy didn't lock them in at the time. Now, it does now. They've changed the rules. But, um, I mean, Hodgson's just making a farce of the whole England thing. I mean, Fabian Delph hasn't kicked a ball in months. I think he came on there on on Wednesday night, and now he's in the England squad, and he hasn't played all year. Um, Dyer is only playing in midfield for Spurs because of injuries. If Bentaleb and, and Mason signings had... as well, yeah. Oh well, of course, yeah. I mean, you're looking at the the Spurs team tonight, and they had to play a strong team, and Liverpool had to do the same as well. And people are getting on the manager's back, and like, don't blame Jurgen Klopp for the team he's had to pick tonight. Blame Brendan Rodgers. And, and don't with, blame with Klopp, Pochettino. He wasn't even there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't blame Pochettino. Blame those that came before him and those who employ him, because they've done a horrible job with the squad. This, I mean, we had this conversation before, Kev, where we said, like, if if you'd given Pochettino Liverpool's squad last year, he would have got top four. Mm. If you'd given Brendan Rodgers Spurs squad, you'd probably finish in eighth or ninth, maybe yeah. lower. Spurs don't have, like, they have a strong 11. They probably have a strong 14, maybe 15 when everybody's fit. Mm. But they don't have the depth. And that is, unfortunately, unless it's addressed in January, that's what's going to harm you come come the end of the season when you're trying to get that fourth spot. Yeah. But, I mean, on, on Dyer, look, I think he's going to be a decent centre-back eventually. He'll be a good backup to Alderweireld, um, which will also... which has the double bonus of giving you depth and allowing you to send Fazio to the moon. <laughs> Just, um, I'm not sure the moon is far enough away. <laughs> he is terrible at football, that it's chap. It's so bad. He captained Sevilla to a Europa League title. Yeah. And I think that was just you know Emery trolling the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, him and Monchi have a discussion. How do we get rid of this guy? That that choice, us picking him over Masakio, did lead to us getting Toby, who yeah. while I'm not necessarily sure all the world is better uh, than Masakio, I think that differential is made up for with his personal relationship with Jan, and it, yeah, it shows on the absolutely. Pitch. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, in the situation you're in now. Masakio and Jan with Toby sitting in front of them would be preferable <laughs> to what's going on there right now. Yeah, yeah for sure. And and I do agree with, with uh, your statement about how, you know, we probably have 11 to 15-ish good players. But here's here's the great thing looking forward to the future is if you could football manager it and fast forward the next two years, I think we easily have a top four squad if we somehow kept exactly these players and it's two years later. Ali with two oh, more I agree. years experience. Eriksen with two more years experience. Kane with two more years experience. Just go through the whole squad and they'll Song. all be better. I, I, I think Lamella's finally settled oh, as well. it's so great. It's so and great I think having he, him be decent. <laughs> yeah, and I think when when you get going and everybody's fit, if you can roll out Kane up front, Son and Lamella either side and Eriksen in behind. Yeah, with Ali and whoever can pass the ball behind exactly. them. Exactly. <laughs> Say Ali and Bentaleb or if you buy someone in January... And the defense has looked looked much better this year, and you have one of the top five goalkeepers, I believe, in the yeah. world. Yeah. That is a top four team, and, and that's Kyle a team Walker that's looks call. looks serviceable now. He looks really like a football benefiting player. Benefiting from from Pochettino, who we know has had great success with wingbacks in the past. Yeah, uh, he looks like he a football player. And, yeah. 
All right, uh, so now we are going to move on to the topic, which is uh, born of, actually, Pochettino's press conference, where we talked about uh, how Dyer and Ali, despite not having leadership positions, are actually pretty good leaders within the club. So I'm not asking for your youngest ones, but who are the leaders in your current squad, and how much impact do you think a certain captain or club captain can have on the team? We don't have many. Well, you have Milner. No. Um, absolutely not. James Milner, you see, there's an old saying that a leader with no followers is just a fella going for a walk. And that is James Milner. He's just a man going for an aimless walk. It was the same when Rogers used to big up Lovren about how he was a leader. He's not. Um, we have Sacco. He is the real leader in this squad. Um, Henderson's a, a leader as well, so when he comes back, I think that'll obviously help. What is hopefully. the timetable on, on Hendo? No one seems to know. Kev, it's really strange what's going on with him. Um, the Does club he actually are, exist? Is he just a figment of our imagination? I've, I've no idea what's going on anymore. <laughs> it's really strange. The club won't release any information. The club are to blame, basically, for what's happened to his foot. Um, he had a problem with his heel. He was sent to America... He, after being forced to play in a game he wasn't needed in, sent to America, got injections, came back and was training with metal plates in his boot to protect his foot. But obviously he was then compensating for both the pain he was in and the extra weight and putting too much weight on the other foot. And it was an impact tackle, broke his foot. He's now been out for, I think he's missed 15 games now. Um, and there's no there's no timetable on him even returning to train. And if we get him back before Christmas, I'll be surprised. Um, so yeah, I mean those are the two the two guys I would say are the real leaders. But there's others who lead by example. Coutinho, Firmino, Lalana at times does it as well. Um, Klein and Moreno have become quite talkative as well on the pitch. So like I'm not a big one on this whole you know experienced leaders and all that kind of junk. I think. People are either leaders or they're not. It's not a footballing, um, you know, strength. It's it's a human strength. You either are a leader or you're not. Same as work rate isn't a footballer's attribute. It's a human attribute. You're either a hard worker or you're not. Um, so I, it doesn't worry me as much as it worries some people. I think you just need talkers in your team, really. You just need communication. And that's something that you can work on on the training ground in the dressing room because it's just basic communication. It's the same as us four lads sitting here having a chat. That's what you need. You need people talking to each other. You don't necessarily lead, lead, need a bunch of leaders. You just need organizers and people to man up and do their own job. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point. I remember one of the, the things I was talking about under AVB that we really lacked, and it wasn't leadership. Because uh, Michael Dawson, for his many sins, is a, is a pretty natural leader. Uh, but what we lacked was uh, enough good followers that when we had uh, Ledley, we had players like Vondervaart and Bale and Modric who were all willing to take that kind of secondary role and be excellent followers. And I think that at times, maybe not in all situations, but in that particular situation, it was almost better that we had a whole lot of people that were willing to follow one excellent leader instead of kind of divvying it up amongst a lot of players on the pitch. Exactly, and that's what you want. You want one clear focal point, one who gets the team together when there's a break in play. Mark Noble, for me, right now, is the best at this in the Premier League. You watch West Ham play, 
And any kind of break in play, he's getting that squad in around him. He's talking to them individually and collectively. And he's a guy that I would like to see in this England squad over the likes of Dyer and Fabian Dauf. Look, he's not an England caliber player, but I think body of work, he deserves a call up to that squad. Um, He's excellent in that. And West Ham were very clever in the summer and they bought, as you said, a, you know, what you need, a good group of followers, guys who will take direction. And the guys you mentioned, I mean, Ledley King, top class player, Modric, top class player, and Van der Vaart, top class player. Those guys were willing to put their own egos to one side. Those guys have all captain teams as well. Mm. But they recognized that, you know, Dawson was the most natural leader in that squad. Whether he was wearing the armband or not, he was right. the clear leader. It was the same when Liverpool had Gerrard and Carragher. People waffle on about Gerrard being some great leader. He never was. He was never a great leader. Wore the armband for 10 years, but Jamie Carragher was the leader of that team. Yeah, Gitto, we mentioned earlier about Sigurdsson, uh, you know, not being your best player, although he was against Villa. Is, is he in there or is it Ashley Williams? It's really the driving force in the, in the quote-unquote clubhouse. Yeah, Ashley Williams is the natural leader that we've got. He is, I, I've said it before, I think he, he is uh, up there with the very best captains in this league. I think maybe Company and Terry are the only two who um, who could possibly, you could possibly say are better captains for their teams in um, in this division. Um, admittedly, it is a team which, it is a league which I think lacks big personalities as captains. I mean, a lot of the top teams, I think, are majorly lacking leadership. Um, you look at it, United, I think you've got a lot of players there who uh, are actually used to leading um, in various ways to the past, and most notably now, of course, Feinsteiger, who they've brought in. But they've got somebody like Wayne Rooney up front, who I don't think appears to me like a natural leader. I, you know, That's just my opinion from watching him over the years. I don't think he has uh, the communication skills or the just... The, the, actually, the ability to take responsibility the way a natural re- leadership uh, leader should. Whereas Ashley Williams, you see him when he's on the pitch, he's always communicating with the players. And this isn't necessarily yelling at them, which some people think is a great sign of leadership. It's talking them through it. It's instructing them, organising them. Just if things are getting a little bit flustered, telling everybody to calm down, or if the energy levels are dropping, telling them that they've got to do that little bit extra. Um, and and he's, he is a, an absolutely essential um, presence. And this is one of the reasons I'm so surprised that he's still with us and that a, a bigger club hasn't come in because I'm looking at a club like Arsenal, who for years have lacked a leader. And the difference that having that kind of presence uh, would make at Arsenal is huge. I, I, I was listening to another podcast the other day when uh, it, was a, it was a debate over who is the better defender, um, Ashley Williams or Lauren Koscielny. Um, probably in terms of defensive ability, Koscielny just edged it, even though I do think Ashley Williams is one of the most underrated defenders in uh, in the league. But in terms of what Ashley Williams would give that Arsenal team, it, it could it could make the difference between them be, being a, a trophy-winning team and being you know the Arsenal that they are at the moment. I think I, the concern I, would be it would be hard for him to walk into that dressing room and command that leadership you know what i mean like i understand that he's a natural born leader but would other players buy in see the other the other issue is that mertesacker is the leader of that defense and mertesacker is not going to cede that to an inferior player in ashley williams you, you're not gonna uh, uh, but you, but you're, you're not gonna drop your best center back just to bring in ashley williams 
because he's like, and I, do, I, I totally agree with you. Ashley Williams is a really good leader, but Arsenal's issue isn't that they need an Ashley Williams; it's that they need a Patrick Vieira or a Roy Keane. They need that leadership from midfield. Arsenal's defence, by and large, is pretty good. It's the fact that they have nobody in midfield leading them. When Arteta was playing, they had that leadership, and he's a good talker, and they weren't conceding goals. I think we could probably switch this round and and say put Ashley Williams into into your Liverpool defence. He wouldn't get in our Liverpool defence because Mamadou Saka was vastly superior and just as good a leader. At left centre back, really? he is. Really? But, but, <laughs> yeah, oh, that, it's Lov- not even Lovren, up for debate. That Mamadou Lovren, Lovren, Lovren that played at right centre back tonight, and Lovren is a pile of. Oh, shit. he's dreadful. <laughs> he's absolutely dreadful. Dejan Lovren is one of the worst football players I've ever yeah. seen. So, but in fact, I, I play Gareth McCauley over Dejan Lovren, to be honest. So, it, it's unquestionable that, that Williams would get into a Liverpool side. But he's not a right-side centre-back, though. Uh, to be honest with you, no, he might not well be, but... You just can't can, ask somebody to take everything they've done can. for 15 you years. Can. You can. I think you could. You well, can. I, I'll go with the views of Franco Baresi and Alan Hansen, who I've actually heard in person speak about this, that it is... Virtually impossible to translate one side to the other because think about it this way if for 16 years you do something the exact same way every day and then someone asks you to change it and do the exact opposite it's going to be nearly impossible for you to do absolutely not if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna look at a left winger and say he can't play on the right wing not the same thing at all it's well, why is it not? It's it's a positional switch, and if no. you know what if you know what a left centre back is back's game is, or it just depends though because each manager will have one that probably sits slightly deeper anyway. So but you may well be doing a similar role to what you'd be doing as a left centre back, but you're doing it in the right centre back role. Everything is mirrored, and your positioning, which is ninety percent of your game as a centre back, your positioning is automatically going to be off because yeah. you have things that you pick up on. It's not the same as switching from one wing to the other, full-back spot to the other at all. It is the hardest switch to make in football from right side to centre-back to left side to centre-back. Well, I'd, I'd question that. That fella for Northern Ireland used to be a goalie and now he's a striker, so I think he's doing a better job at switching. <laughs> um, but, okay, now, granted, I take your point, but... Right, I think Jim, it's let's, a... let's get you to jump back in here before we entirely overrun your, <laughs> your time to talk about Ashley Williams and the leadership situation at Swansea. Uh, yeah, he's he's the main leader. We've got some old heads that have been here throughout our rise, you know, the likes of um, Leon Britton and Ranja Ranja, but they're not starting these days. But it's it's good to have them at the club because I think it keeps us humble. In terms of players who sort of lead by example, uh, surprisingly for Arsenal fans perhaps, but uh, uh, Fabianski's made a big difference for us. People don't usually look at goalkeepers as leaders, but, you know, you look at someone like Joe Hart from Man City, who I think does... Um, that kind of job uh, as well, and Fabianski um, has calmed down our defences, you know, as much as Ashley Williams possibly over the last few years. He he, he really asserts his dominance over uh, over over a box, which is something we've never had a, a, from a goalkeeper at any of the levels we've played at uh, in the time that I've been watching the Swans. Um, further ahead in the pitch, we do have maybe a little bit of a problem that we don't have leaders in attack. Um, Gilfrey Searson put his stamp uh, on the game against Villa, but 
probably don't see enough of that from him. Andre Ayew can uh, lead by example at times, but again, he's not really a born captain material. So um, in attack, we may lack those kind of leaders, but Ashley Williams compensates for so much with his leadership abilities. It's it's unreal. Yeah, and Dan, who are the kind of natural and otherwise leaders over at Albion? Well, we've got Fletcher, haven't we? Um, and he leads by example, and he leads in terms of communication and, and just a bit of advice in someone's ear every now and then, um, especially with the younger lads playing around him. Um, aside from that, I would have said that Lescott was probably our most natural leader until he went to Villa and turned into you know, an absolutely rubbish player overnight. How he, however, I have no idea how that happened, to be honest. Um, but, you know, I, I think I think Fletcher really... I, if, if you're looking for the rest of the team, you could say that Lambert's been there and, and experienced, you know, playing football for at various different levels for various different teams. And he's a strong willing, a strong head sort of, um, you know. But, I, I mean, I wouldn't particularly say we've got a team full of players that can't lead. We've just got quite, you know, I think with having Tony Pulis as our manager or head coach, um, I, I, I feel that there's plenty of communication on the pitch. You know, um, Boaz Moyhead in goal talks plenty and he's actually proved to be really quite decent. in, in Your midfield talks absence. a lot, Dan. Say your, again, your, sorry. Your, your midfielders, they talk constantly. Uh, absolutely. Claudio Jakob. Um, and Fletcher's partnership is is mm. absolutely superb. But there, there are games where it does go wrong, of course. But but in the games where we we've managed to shore up the defence and those two sitting in front, it, it it is a joy to watch. If that's what you you know, of course, many people aren't going to enjoy watching two defensive midfielders. You know, make sure that nothing's getting through. But if that's you, if that's your kind of thing, you know. Tony Pulis, I'm sure he spends many uh, many nights getting really excited over that kind of thing. So, um, but Claudio Jakob is a player that could could play for a much better club than the Baggies, and I've got I've got no idea why nobody's really ever looked at him. You know, and it, it was it was the same with Malumbu when the Malumbu was amazing that, that you you got him on a free, didn't you? Yeah, Jakob. but he came he came on a free, yeah, and uh, it was around. I think it was nearly, I think, three summers ago, or maybe four summers ago. It was the summer yeah. that Rodgers took over Liverpool, wasn't it? Yeah, but, 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 took over. yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, he's, he's been great. I know he, he kind of fell out, didn't he? He fell out under, um, what, what was the guy's name you had for about uh, two weeks? Uh, under Irvine. Irvine, yeah. he, was, he wasn't getting a look in, and it, it was bemusing, to be honest, a player of his ability, and there was question marks over whether he'd be staying. And I think it'd be absolute. It'd be a, a travesty if we we sold Claudio Jakob, unless mm, it was a big club very coming good. in and, and paying lots of money. Um, I think we're we're a good balanced side, the baggies, you know. And um, like I said at the start, Fletcher when he came in um, in January, Pulis knew exactly what he was doing in in getting a player that's been there and done that for you for a for a massive club in Man United. Um, and just the experience of having having someone in the dressing room that can say, yeah, I've, I've, I've won the Champions League, you know, listen to me. Because, you know, but, but I think that kind of thing is, you know, when you go to a club like the Baggies, we haven't got that calibre of player really. Up until up until we started signing the players like Fletcher and Rondon, who's played for Zenit in, in the Champions League. And then we've, we've managed to sign Johnny Evans as well, who's... who's you know, played in, in United sides and won league titles. 
we, we haven't really had any players that you could say have played at the very, very top. Um, and so that, that is a positive, I suppose. And, and without Fletcher being that first signing, agreeing to sign, or, or maybe even the masterstroke of West Ham turning him down for, for whatever reason and him coming and signing for Baggies, I think that's led to us signing better players as well. Um, and it was certainly key in, in getting Johnny Evans to, to come and play for us um, because they're, they're good friends and they get on really well. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm pleased with our side and I don't think we're, we're certainly, I don't think we're on the lookout for any leaders. We've, we've got plenty of them. Yeah, uh, for Tottenham, I, I found it interesting that both uh, both you and Gitto mentioned keepers there a little bit. Hugo Lloris, obviously our captain. Uh, I, I've had some, some friends that aren't really keen on having a keeper as captain just because they can't influence the match as much. Um but I do think he is the best leader at the club. Jan Vertonghen keeps blowing hot and cold on whether he, or not he wants to be a leader. It seems that he is buying in on the Pochettino thing. Recently uh, hit his 100th cap for the club. Now saying that he, he uh, is looking forward to the next 100, which is talk we would not have expected to hear from him about a year and a half ago when it looked like he was playing crap to get a move out of the club. Um, so not huge on uh, Vertonghen's leadership capabilities, but we do have a lot of people, like I mentioned at the top of the topic, um, a lot of guys that kind of have that kind of stick to if, if you'll pardon the professional expression, um, that really lends itself to having a very strong side. And I, I do think a lot of that comes from Pochettino encouraging it in his players. Um, but like the likes of... Kane and Dyer and Ali, uh, that might be it. Honestly, uh, I think I thought it was a whole lot more than that. Maybe Mason down the road, but um, we we just don't. Yeah, don't people just get too carried away though with who wears the armband? Oh, very much so. Very like, much so. like Gitu was talking about Ashley Williams. If 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 tomorrow morning Gary Monk walked in and said, "Look, Ashley." Gilfie Sigurds is not happy. We're going to give him the armband to keep him happy, to keep him at the club. It wouldn't affect how Ashley Williams plays. It wouldn't affect the fact that he is going to be the leader of that team. <clears throat> so, like, that, it always winds me up when people go on about goalkeepers as captains because, mm. like, it's just... It's more a, like a sign of respect than a sign of him actually being a leader. Like, mm. he's your best player. He's your most important player. This, Rooney has the captain's armband for United and England. The chap couldn't, you know, lead a piss up in a brewery. <laughs> but you yeah. know, does does like if Ghetto's spot on with Williams, like, and he's a natural leader, so he could be anywhere. He could be sat in the dugout next to Gary Monk. He'd still be able to encourage and lead the team because he's one of those those types next to Gary Monk on the pitch so yeah well you know like but he would be up talking to people he'd be in the dressing room talking he'd be on the training ground talking and that's where real leaders shine it's it's in the dressing room it's on the training ground it's not so much about being on the pitch I mean I don't know if any of you saw when Dejan Lovren first joined Liverpool and Rodgers deemed him the next great leader and he would shout and wave his arms around and everybody just look at him, kind of bemused. What like, what, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> should go over there and shut up. Like, do you know, it's Spurs. Vertonghen is the one that needs to step up for you guys. Yeah. I think Ericsson's going to assume more of it as well 
in terms of leading by example. Kane yeah. is a leader I, I think, as well. I think Ericsson. I think Ericsson is one of those Vandervaart style followers, though. I don't see him really inspiring a lot in other players, but being able to to follow. He just kind of has a kind of reserved uh, personality. But he, on he, the pitch, he'll lead a bit by more by example, though. Yes, you know what I mean? Yes, yes. In what he does, Kane is a leader. Yeah, for you sure. can see that in the way Kane plays. Um, uh, interesting thing though is I'm not sure if it would be as magnified elsewhere. I think a lot of it happens to be that he is a Tottenham fan. Is it because he's one of your own? Yeah. You know, I've heard that. I think there's some song <laughs> to that effect. Uh, so I would be interested to see like later down his career if he ends up developing into the player that some think he is. Uh, if he ever got that chance for England, would he be able to do it there? Because he's obviously never going to leave Tottenham ever, fingers crossed on everything. Uh, by the way, the, the goal he scored today and the one against Aston Villa, I know everybody was hyped after the Bournemouth match, but a lot of those were kind of scruffy goals. Uh, the last two have been great, like genuinely great strikes. So glad to see that he is back uh, to, to his goal-scoring ways. All right, we are going to quickly run through Player Watch and previews because we are rapidly running out of time. Uh, for Player Watch, we're just going to quickly name a player at our club that deserves a call-up and for which country. We'll start with you, Dave. Um, oh, wow. Um, Emre Chan has been fantastic since Klopp took over. Now, he shouldn't be playing for the German team because they're absolutely you know, loaded with midfield players, but I think he should be in the squad. Um, and Firmino and Coutinho should be in that Brazilian squad because they're both just wonderful, wonderful human beings. <laughs> Handsome and also very kind. Um, all right. uh, Gito, I know there was a lot of argument uh, from Scott back in the day on how many of your wingers deserve to be called up instead of Andros Townsend. Is that still the case for you? Uh, I think I think a few, a few of them still deserve call-ups ahead of Andros Townsend, but they don't necessarily deserve call-ups. Um, <laughs> That's actually, absolutely by now, fair. <laughs> by now, most I think all but three of our starting lineup now do play for their country um, every single um, every single international break. Even John Joe Shelby now he's one of these players who. Now that he's actually in the England side, there's no way he's ever going to be kicked out. He's up there with the, you know, the Delphs and the the Andros Townsends, where he could have a terrible couple of weeks. He'll still be in the England squad. Um, and, I I, I genuinely <laughs> thought you were going somewhere else when you said he's up there with Andros Townsend. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not quite that real. Um, but yeah, we've got. Um, I get, I, the only three I think who aren't um, from our starting lineup are Norton, Fernandez, and Gomez. Well, Gomez definitely doesn't deserve a call up the way he's been playing recently, even though he was slightly better against Arsenal. Uh, Norton isn't good enough for England. Uh, Fernandez, of course, was um, Argentinian. Uh, was starting for Argentina until uh, about a year ago. And um, then he surprisingly didn't get called up for the Copa America squad. And we were all outraged because he had been playing amazingly last season. But when you do look at Argentina's centre-back Well, they option, had to have space for Lamela to sit on the bench for every single match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But if you look at the centre-back options, you can see that actually they've, they've got quite a lot of good centre-backs. And um, you can understand why they don't call up Fernandez. So I, think, um, I don't think we can complain about international representation. All right, and Dan? Berahino. Uh, yeah, it's, Which does it's not going, have a tilde over it, so it's not Berahino. It's no, it, it has no umlaut, no nothing, nothing like that. Anyway, <laughs> 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 I 
Do you remember every, every week doing this podcast, Dan would have to give everybody a briefing on how to say the guy's name. Yeah. <laughs> would it be Berheen you? I don't forget it. I'm not. Berheen you? I don't know where this is going. Anyway, Saido Berahino, as to correctly pronounce his name, he's not Brazilian. He's not German. He's he's from Burundi originally. <laughs> but But he's also English because he's lived here most of his life now. Anyway, he should be in the England squad above pretty much you know, most of some of the players you've mentioned. Although we've gone with three attackers, haven't we? I think with England squad, we've, we've got Kane, Rooney and Vardy. You can't argue with those three players being the England squad. Mm. But if you've got a couple of friendlies coming up, have four strikers, eh, Roy? Come on. <laughs> Put, stick stick Berahino in. Who, who's, pro- who's proved the last two seasons, although he is an absolute pain in the backside that he can score goals from anywhere fantastic striker of the ball um, and I've got no doubt that he can take it to the, to the next seven in England so my idea behind it would be to take Deli Ali out of the squad because he turned up yesterday and as, as, as good as he might well be at the moment and how well he's going to be Roy Hodgson needs to stop picking players for his team that have barely played for their club side for five minutes you know, we cannot afford to be giving people the opportunity to play for England when they've not proven themselves at club level just yet. You know, it's almost giving away caps. It's too cheap. And you know I love Roy Hodgson. He's a great man. And he always will be in my eyes for what he did for Baggies. But you, like I say, you cannot give people, you know, the opportunity to play for their country, which is a big thing um, when, when players are so young and potentially naive to, to what they're doing and who knows Deli Ali's having a great start to his career at Tottenham but that might well all dip and go out the window and he's already played for England no, it doesn't sit well with me so Berahino pr- proven Premier League goal scorer week in week out pretty much for a team that barely scores goals anyway um, should be in the England squad rant over <laughs> doesn't it doesn't it kind of put more pressure on the likes of Deli Ali as well, <clears throat> when now he's not just Deli Ali promising young midfielder, he's Deli Ali England international. Yeah. And Absolutely. More. Well, he like, hasn't gotten a start yet. I think that's when it's an issue. But in yeah, all like, seriousness, but... he he seems like a, a good coach. Yeah, mm-hmm. he does. I don't know if you guys, I don't know why you would <laughs> have watched his uh, post-match interview with Jan Vertonghen when he got uh, man of the match. Um, but Vertonghen was just like, uh, they asked him if he had heard a lot of Della Ali the previous year. He was like, no. <laughs> and like, a lot of people gave him stick. He's like, what? I don't watch the lower leagues. And then oh. like, hey. <laughs> um, uh, but that whole time, Della Ali, you know, he just kind of took it in stride. He still knows he's the new kid. The concern is obviously when that flips yeah. and he starts realizing he's one of the better options. I agree. I was very surprised he got called up again. I did think that he was called up just to lock him in. Obviously not what has happened well, right now. It, it, it... The, the best example is when He's Walcott 19. was called up. Well, when Will it's Walcott crazy. was called up to the England squad for the World Cup in 2006, I think it was. Mm. Um, he should never have been anywhere near that England yeah, squad. What was he, like 12 years of age. He was about. He was about. He was 16, I think. And he, and and there were there were much more qualified players that missed out. Um, 
you know what really D- annoyed Defoe me? Defoe may that. well have missed out, I think, in 2006, yeah. and he was banging the goals in. That's and, it. And, and like you had the Hodgson or the the Ericsson sympathizers saying, "Oh, it's really good that like he's going to give this kid experience." No, so in no, four you years, you pick your best then, players. Exactly, yeah, you're time. sacrificing a position, and you're also leaving out a player who this might be their only chance to play in a World Cup. Absolutely, World Cup was sixteen. Was going to get Dave, That should up. be the case for every single international game. You pick yeah. the best squad best available. available. No matter how old they are, you pick the best squad available. And just yet, I don't think that... If you're supposed to pick the best squad available, Netherlands right now will be fielding four players. So, yeah. I'm not sure that... And, and Wayne Rooney and James Milner wouldn't be anywhere near the England squad. Mm. Because they've been wrecked. I mean, I mean, on recent form, Kane, Vardy yeah. and Berahino is a better trio. Yeah. And anyway, we're, we're, we're getting side We are. Yeah, uh, we're talking about people excited. that deserve international cops. They're all internationals. That's one of the benefits... Um, Danny Rose, I'm sure, would have been called up if he had been fit, uh, re-earned the Tottenham job, and and that does have a lot of potential. A little didn't Gibbs get in? I think I saw that. Um, lost his job to Nacho Monreal. Uh, whatever. That's that's all fine. Um, man, do I we really think Roy actually that. knows who plays for these clubs though? Like he, who's actually? I in swear the- he has been at like four of the last eight. Tottenham matches. Yeah, I, I think I why. think he just goes because the atmosphere is crap and he can have a nice sleep. <laughs> to, to, to be honest, I think Roy Hodgson attends more reserve games than he t- attends first team games. Mm. Looking at the squad, interesting. Yeah, I I have seen him a lot. Kev, can I just say before we move on? Yeah, yeah. Please read what I've wrote for Jay's website, the Eagles Beak, about about Joe Hart because Joe Hart is the most inconsistent keeper I've seen for a long while. Yes. What? How on earth is he England's number one? God me, it is, it is an absolute travesty. I've probably said that word tw- twice in this podcast <laughs> now, but it is, honestly, it's a joke. If you look at the amount of errors he's made over the last three years, it mm. is, it's, it's like... And he's still considered, quote-unquote, elite. No, but you know what not, it is, though. But people, not... people, they have one, one or two good years and people ignore yeah. them, what happens. Because look but, at Begovic. Begovic had two terrible years at Stoke. And is now at Chelsea, and people think he's a really, really top keeper. And it's all this form of temporary goalkeeping. I'll tell you what, goalkeeping is ninety percent in the head, yeah. and it's ninety uh, percent composure. Was so good for a couple of years, and then he had that blunder against Chelsea, and then he was awful, and now he's at Watford, and now he's decent again. It's it's mostly confidence for sure. Jeff has it a flying in the top corner, but you don't have to think about that. And Joe Hart will make those saves, but when it comes to basic goalkeeping errors where he's catching a ball out of me there that's been hanging or there's a, there's a ball being played through one-on-one and he, and he doesn't know what to do and he sprints off his line and runs into the player and the player walks around him. The amount of times you watch that from Joe Hart, it, it just, it's it's like you you're not you shouldn't be doing that as a professional goalkeeper. So mm. for me, Jack Butland should start yeah. and get Joe Hart out of the team. In fact, you know... Pick, I'll, I'll go in golfing and you know what I mean. What rubbish? We can add we can add Joe Hart to that team we were constructing with Lovren and Fazio as its centre backs. Um, yeah, right. One last thing. Yeah. One last thing. Um, you bought Fazio. Yeah. Uh, Swansea bought Fernandez for less. Yeah. I believe the same summer. Yeah. Both Federicos. Yeah. One of them's good and one of them isn't. <laughs> and we didn't you got get the, one the good that isn't. ones. <laughs> they screwed you that summer. They said you've really and, and Ben Davies 
and took and took um, Sigurdsson away. To be fair, to be fair, Ben Davis made Danny Rose try, which is why he's decent now. I'm fine with that. Ben Davis, uh, he's been somewhat uh, decent defensively for us, which I know was a knock a lot of Swansea fans had on him, was that he wasn't great defensively. Uh, eh, would we do it again? No. Am I super salty about it? Not particularly. Because when we do play Vorm, we don't have to change our whole play style, which is what we had to do when we had Friedel in, as he has the pace of tectonic shift. Um, but uh, very quickly, super last thing, uh, match previews. Are you going to win or not? Norwich for Swansea. Uh, I've got a bad feeling we're going to lose against Norwich. We're, our waveform has generally been appalling this season, uh, and Carrow Road hasn't traditionally been a great hunting ground for us. I think Norwich have been playing better generally than their results would suggest in the last Agreed. few games, uh, and I think they'll be. I think they'll stay up very comfortably, Norwich, and I think three points against teams like Swansea as well will secure that. I don't. I actually think we'll lose on Saturday. All right, Dan. You travel to Manchester United. It would be our third consecutive win at Old Trafford if we went there and beat them, but <laughs> I can't. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say that we'll get a point. Eh? We never. You never know. Mm. Uh, a nil-nil. A nil-nil draw with with all our defenders coming out on credit and credit uh, and super um, super Evans at the yeah, back Callum going back to his old club and, oh. and having a, a great game. United can score, and your team is fondly opposed to scoring, so no, no, no. <laughs> no, that was a good shout. Yeah. All right, uh, Dave, Liverpool versus Crystal Palace, who we just mentioned, kept that clean sheet against United last week. I think we'll win. I think it will be a close game. They're they're really good. Like, Pardew has done a great job. Yeah. Pardew would be the ideal manager for the Baggies. Um <laughs> Because he's good, def- all the yeah. Well, he's good defensively, and he gets his teams attacking. He's like a, a poor version of Jurgen Klopp or Pochettino. Mm. Um, he something like him that'd be ideal for Baggies. He's done a really good job at Palace. I like how they play. Um, they're 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 an honest team. It's a, like it's a shame Zaha and Balassi have both been so awful. Well, you know, Balassi Balassi tends blow to hot and cold so much. This, Balassi tends to like have his big game of the year against Liverpool. Now, mm. thankfully, we don't have Glenn Johnson there this year to make him look like Ronaldo. <laughs> so but um, I think we'll win. I think we'll win 2-1. All right. Uh, and Arsenal versus Tottenham, I think a 1-1 draw is likely. Uh, both of our defenses pretty solid, but both of our attacks probably too good to be held to nil. So I'm going 1-1, but could easily lose this one considering how strong the team is we picked tonight. But it's not Pochettino's fault. Those are the players that were available, so calm down. Uh, but yeah, I, I think 1-1 seems a fair result to me. And with that, we are out of time. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now be a good time. So as I said at the start of the podcast, it's all in sportstalk.com. It's um, the website myself and Steve Gennaro run to promote our show, All In Sports Talk. We've got a Twitter handle, at All In Sports Talk. I also do the happy hour on the Anfield Index. That's out every second week. I do the main podcasts on the alternating weeks, and that's AnfieldIndex.com and at Anfield Index. And tweet at underscore gags underscore and say hello because he's the nicest man in the world. Uh, as I, uh, I actually got our Twitter handle wrong at the start is at the Jackcast, not at Jackcast, as I said. Uh, our latest episode uh, has just come out yesterday, so it's very, very um, current. 
Uh, also, for those few of you over in West Wales, uh, the uh, Carmarthen Journal has my latest column in it this week, uh, having a little minor go at our fans, those of you who left a quarter of an hour early when the team played well against Arsenal. That was a little bit shameful. Yeah, I've been Dan from um, Twitter account Baggies Facts. You can find me on that site at Baggies Facts. Um, like I said earlier, you can find my ramblings on the Premier League over at uh, The Eagles Big, which is actually a Palace website. But I do um, I give like a Premier League overview um, as to what's been going on throughout the league, which keeps me busy. Um, so you can check that out. Um, and you can check out some controversial things that I say over there. So cheers for listening. Cheers for having me on, Kevita. Yeah, and I'm your host, at Kevroff on Twitter, Kevin DeVries, of course. Uh, you can find my ramblings over at blog.playtaga.com and eaglesbeak.com, where I have a fantasy article that goes up weekly on Friday mornings. Uh, and yeah, I'll also host the FPL Roundtable, which comes out uh, on Thursday morning, so keep an eye out for that as well. So yeah, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.